Great. Good morning, everybody. Um, how are you feeling? You're all right. I hope you had a nice holiday if you've been away. Um, I had a great summer so far. I've been really fortunate to get away quite a bit. So, yeah, I'm excited to share with you uh, this morning the last heroic faith of the summer. Uh, we're going to be looking at a guy called Jacob this morning. And uh, let me just explain the way I want this to work this morning. I'd really like it if we could get into the mindset of Jacob and uh, see how his life kind of, uh, see what went on in his life and see how God kind of ministered to him. And by kind of understanding that, I hope that God speaks to us this morning and speaks into our lives. And uh, yeah, that, that's the aim of this morning. We're going to take a look at quite a big chunk of scripture. And uh, I hope that's okay with you. We're going to be working our way through, um, yeah, probably the most <laughs> I've ever preached on. So that's exciting. I'm slightly nervous, uh, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but before we get into that passage, uh, I want to just set the scene for you. I mean, some of you may know um, quite a bit about Jacob. Some of you might not know anything about Jacob, and that's fine. And uh, just so we're all on the same page, let me explain what's happened in Jacob's life up until the passage we're about to look at. Okay, so... Jacob, he is a twin. Now, I grew up with twin sisters, and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty stressful, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> I had to take, I had to put that in. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, so Jacob's a twin. He has an older brother, Esau, and uh, it doesn't get off to the greatest of starts in Jacob's in Jacob or Esau's life. They're they're fighting. They don't really well. They're not fighting, but they don't really get on so well. And what happens is uh, Jacob, he steals Esau's blessing. Esau's the oldest. He's the oldest son and so has the birthright, which means he would inherit more than Jacob. He would have more authority than Jacob. He is the, he's the main deal in the family. He's going to be the next Isaac, who's his father. He's going to be the next man in line to take over from all of the wealth of Isaac. And so uh, Esau, he's the main man. Jacob, his younger brother, he's not actually a bigger deal at this stage. Although what happens is Jacob steals Esau's birthright. And he does that by tricking Esau. He uh, is deceitful and he fools Esau into allowing Jacob to have his birthright. And Isaac, his father, Jacob's father, blesses Jacob not Esau. And that happens in Genesis 27. And later on in Genesis 27, what we read is this, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The days of mourning my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob. So Esau hates Jacob. Esau cannot stand Jacob because he has stolen his wealth. As a result of this threat, what happens is Rebecca, who's their, their mother, she overhears uh, Esau threatening to kill Jacob. And so she, she loves Jacob. So she goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, you've got to run. You've got to get away from Esau as quick as possible and go as far as possible as you can. And so Rebecca, she says to Jacob, go and take refuge in Haran with 
her brother Laban. And so that's exactly what Jacob does. He travels. It's an estimated about 400 miles. That's what scholars reckon. He reckoned that Jacob would travel for about 400 miles, a really long journey to uh, Haran, where Rebecca's brother was. And he, Jacob stayed with Laban there for an extended period of time to take refuge there, to hide from Esau, who we know wants to kill Jacob. And actually, it's during that journey across uh, desert plains and whatnot, 400 miles, that Jacob begins to encounter God. He begins to meet with God, and there's a few different significant ones. We're not going to go into a great deal, but you can check these out another time. Uh, God meets with Jacob, and he names that place Bethel, which is interesting because that's where Bethel Church, which most of you will have come from, uh, heard of, that's where that comes from. Just a little interesting thing. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's during these encounters, this is the reason I mentioned it, it's during these encounters that, uh, that God reassures Jacob that uh, he is in the line of Abraham. He, he, he reassures Jacob that he has, in fact, taken Esau's birthright. And so what that means really plainly is it will go Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Esau. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Esau. And that's really significant. So it's basically God saying, I know you've been deceitful. I know you've taken Esau's birthright. But quite frankly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor that. You're going to be in the line of Abraham. You're going to be one of my prophets. And I know that Esau doesn't like you, but I'm still going to do that. And so Jacob has been reassured by God that he is in the line of Abraham and will become a prophet. And God says to, a uh, to Jacob while he's in Haran with Laban, he says to him, Jacob, go home. He says, go back to your father's land. He says, go back to your father's land, which inevit inevitably means an encounter with Esau. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. We're going to pick up the story with Jacob starting this journey back to his encounter with Esau. And I hope that all made sense. I'm looking around to see. I just set the scene. Are we okay? We are? Good. All right. Uh, I'm looking over the Bibles. Have people got Bibles? If you want a Bible, feel free to grab one. Don't feel awkward about that. We're going to be going through a chunky passage, so... Feel free to have it open. It's going to be Genesis 33, chapter 33 we're starting, and it's going to be starting at verse 3. And uh, I'm just going to pray before we start because I really want God to speak to us, and uh, I feel it's good to do that. Yeah, Father, uh, we're going to read through some scriptures you know, and I'd love it if you would speak to us. I'd love it if you could reveal some stuff to us, and I'd love it if you just gave us a nudge in whatever direction you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Jacob is on his way back to Esau. Verse 3. Jacob sent messages, messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now, for this to work this morning, I would really like it if we really try to get into the mindset of Jacob, because what happens when we read scripture is we can read it and not quite 
grasp exactly what's going on. We cannot, we can read it in like monotone, if you know what I mean. We can read it without realizing the true depth of what's being said. So when it says Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Sur, the country of Edom, what's probably happening in Jacob's mind is he's thinking, Esau, 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 ah, he wants to kill me. That's the last thing I heard. He threatened to kill me. What should I do? Oh, I know. I'll send messengers to Esau so that uh, maybe that'll just soften the blow a little because he'll know I'm coming. He'll get time to get angry and then he'll cool off a little bit and then I can go and encounter him and, oh, it'll be okay. So I'm sending messengers to let him know I'm coming so that he can cool off. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll send messengers ahead of myself to my brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Hold on a second. Why is Jacob calling Esau my Lord? Why is he referring to himself as a servant to Esau? Because we know that Jacob has just taken Esau's birthright. If anything, it should be the other way around. It should be Esau that says, Jacob, I'm your servant now, or you're my Lord now. But no, Jacob, he's not like, he's, he's if you ask me, Jacob's full of fear. He's anxious. He's not sure what, uh, how I, uh, Esau is going to respond to him. So he thinks, all I can do is say, Esau, you're my lord. I'm, I'm your servant. I'm, I'm, I'm gripped by anxiety. I'm scared. And I think we see that there. In verse six, when the messengers re- messengers returned to Jacob, they said, "We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you." And 400 men are with him. What on earth does Esau need 400 men for? Presumably fighting men. Flipping heck. I think Esau is going to kill Jacob. And Jacob must have been seriously panicking. And verse 7 says, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Interesting tactics from Jacob. Slightly awkward if he ends up in the wrong group. But needless to say, interesting tactics. Verse 9, then Jacob prayed. A change of strategy. Jacob decides to pray. And isn't it interesting the order in which that happened? Isn't it interesting that Jacob would uh, arrange his group, his, his, whatever you want to call it, everything he has, he arranges into two groups, and then he prays. And I'm not saying, like, we would do it any better. I just think it's, like, easy to miss that he's just done a very human thing, hasn't he? He's just gone and made plans, he thinks, Okay, something bad's coming, right? Here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. This is how it's right? Now we'll pray. It's interesting that he chooses to do it in that order. And this is his prayer. Always worth taking note of a prayer in the Bible. Definitely can learn from that. And this is what he says O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, 
You who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I feel this as if Jacob is saying in this opening of the prayer that he's saying, God, you told me to do this. You told me to go back this way. You told me to go home to my father's land. You told me to do this. You said it would work well. You said it w- I would prosper. Why, why is this happening? Esau is coming to kill me, but you told me to do this. What is going on? And Jacob continues, he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I, have only my, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. And the tone of Jacob's prayer I find fascinating, that especially verse 10 we just read. And what's interesting is the opening to that. So he says, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. Now, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew, which was what this was originally written in, it actually expresses it slightly better than our English can express it. It expresses it possibly, or it probably expresses it like this. I have proven unworthy. I have proven unworthy. And we might paraphrase that. We might say, I have been unworthy, and I still am unworthy. And I think what we see is Jacob saying, God, you know I've been unworthy and I still am unworthy. And I'm, I'm, come on, God, please get me out of this. Please get me out of this. And I can relate to that. And I, I don't know how often you pray or how you start your prayers, but I take encouragement from Jacob from seeing that because I'd love to start my prayers like that. God, I'm so unworthy. I think that's guaranteed to get God's attention. Guaranteed. God, I'm so unworthy. Quite frankly, if it wasn't for Jesus, I still would be unworthy. There's nothing I've done. Jacob surely gets God's attention through this prayer. He continues, he says, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers uh, with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Again, a change of tactics by Jacob. He reminds God of the mothers and children. Has anyone ever done that? Have you ever prayed to God and been like, God, I want this to happen. And you know why you should make this happen? I think you should make this happen because that way it will benefit that people group. It will make them better. Oh, if you do that for me, it will be good for them over there as well. If you do it this way, God, it's going to be okay. Oh, but God, if you don't do it like that, you've, those, those people are going to really suffer. The, the least in society are going to... God, you have to do it this way. Jacob reminds God of the women and children who in this context are the least in the society. Jacob, interesting tactics again. Verse 13, he spent the night there. And I just want to pause there for a moment. We're going to take an a very slight break from Jacob. And what I want to do is I want to read to you a quote that's going to appear on the screen, hopefully. Here we go. In this quote, I I was uh, preparing for this morning and uh, I was doing a bit of reading around Jacob and the subject and 
this guy, Donald, he's an American uh, preacher, pastor, theologian, writer. And uh, he writes specifically about Jacob and especially about this passage. And he says, only the divine pen could have set down in these crisp sentences the milk and water mixture of faith and doubt, trust and dread, confidence and fear. And the reason I like that quote is quite bluntly, I think that quote right there sums up Jacob perfectly. Faith and doubt, trust and dread, confidence and fear. The mixture of those things in Jacob's life come through so much when we read about him in the Bible. He's this guy that is just like, is he, is he with it? Is he with the, is he, what's going on with him? Is he trusting? Is he doubting? You know, has he got confidence? He seems to have a lot of fear. What, what's going on with him? And what I want to do is I want to offer a really simple encouragement to you this morning. And that encouragement is, I, I don't know about you, but I can relate a lot to that in my walk, in my faith. I can relate to all of those things on that screen. I don't know if there's one that stands out to you. It might be the case that they all stand out to you at some point during your journey. And my encouragement is this. Jacob is much like us. It's really simple. Me, you, I, I think we're much like Jacob. And what's interesting is the Bible in Hebrews, it holds Jacob up as this hero of faith. He is heroic faith. He is this series we're doing. What's special about him? Well, he's much like us. And I don't say that to bring Jacob down. I, I say that as an encouragement to you. You ever feel rubbish because you've had all of these emotions in your faith? You ever feel like beating yourself up because you think, oh, God won't use me because I, I, I've got fear, I've got dread, and I've got doubt? Well, that's okay. Jacob had all of those things. Jacob was the most anxious person ever. Jacob had so much fear. Jacob was just a mess. He was a mess. And the Bible holds him up as this hero, and he is. Why is he a hero? I think he's a relatable character, and in a moment we'll begin to see why he's more of a hero. But my encouragement is that he is much like me and you. You can relate to Jacob. I know I can. Anyway, back into the story from verse 13. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third and all the others to follow the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. 
again, we see Jacob strategizing, putting into place a plan, a plan to protect himself. His fear of Esau is overwhelming. I hope you see this in this passage. It's really what I want to try and bring out. His fear and anxiety is overcoming him. In fact, what we're about to read is that it begins to steal Jacob's sleep. Does that ever happen to people? You ever relate to that? You're full of fear and anxiety about something that's coming up, perhaps even this September, if we're going back to school, going back to work, you've just come off holiday, you've got something coming up. Ever had fear or anxiety steal your sleep? Well, Jacob's no different. It steals his sleep. And we progress the story, and we come to a section in the Bible that has been entitled by the Bible editors, Jacob Wrestles with God. Now, those of you who have a Bible open, you'll see that. And what I want to say is that's really annoying that they put that in there. Really annoying. What a spoiler. Honestly, what a massive spoiler that they would put that in there. And quite frankly, to begin with, it's really not that clear. And we'll see that in a minute. And so it's frustrating that they would spoil it like that. So what I want us to do, if we can for a moment, just try and imagine you've not read that. Try and imagine you've not read that God wrestles with Jacob, or Jacob wrestles with God, I think is what it says. Uh, yeah, let's give that a go. <laughs> so verse 22, it says this, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Verse 22, verse 23, we just read, they increase again this sense of anxiety around Jacob. Only the Bible now does something that we often miss. All of a sudden, the Bible introduces the geography and the landscape of the arena which this is about to be set in. Why does it do that? Why does it tell us that this uh, wrestling with God, which has been given away, is about to happen? Why does it do that? Well, I think it says to us, uh, the Bible is increasing the sense of anxiety. The narrator is being really quite clever. The scene is set on the banks of the Jabbok River. It's a torrent, it's a river created, perhaps a deep ravine in the landscape. And verse 23 explains how Jacob has sent all his possessions over the river to the other side. Why has he done that? Well, he's been stripped then of all his possessions his prestige, everything that would make him seem mighty and powerful is on the other side of the river. He is alone in this uh, landscape that is probably quite a scary place to be. What can we learn from that? I think what Jacob's doing is he's removing all the distractions. I think he's getting rid of everything that means he's, uh, would mean he has a uh, authority, everything that would mean he has, um, you know, everything that would make him feel good about himself, he puts on the other side of the river. He removes all the distractions. Why? So he can really focus on his heart, really focus on the burdens that lay ahead of him, really focus on Esau. He removes all the distractions, and I think we can learn from that. I think if there's something that you need to speak to God with, uh, speak to God about, remove the things that distract you. 
remove the things that get in the way of you speaking to God. And I think that's exactly what Jacob does here. The verse continues, it says, 24, verse 24, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. What on earth is that? A man wrestled with him till daybreak. I mean, what, what is going on? The Bible just said Jacob was alone, and now a man is wrestling with him. Who on earth is this? I mean, Esau, perhaps, has gone on a little SAS mission. He's kind of skimmed past everybody, swam underneath the river, and he's appeared. No, I don't think that's happening. Or is it a demon? Maybe. No, I don't think it's that. Uh, God, perhaps? Mm, no, I don't know. But we don't know. So, again, the Bible's given away. We know it's... God or God's representative or an angel of the Lord wrestling with Jacob. Why do we know that? Because in a little bit we'll see that Jacob says, I've seen God face to face and prevailed. That's why the Bible has given it the title. But what I want, like I said, for us to do, we want to get into Jacob's mind so we're just pretending we don't know who it is. You know, this is as much of a, su a surprise to Jacob as it is to us. He's not anticipating this. What's interesting about this divine encounter with God is how it's unannounced. Usually when God appears to people in the Old Testament, it's announced in some way. Usually it's, and Jacob had a dream, and in this dream he met, he got the Lord appear to him. That's typically how it would go. This is so bizarre. This is really quite unusual. It is meant to be a surprise to Jacob, and I want it to be a surprise to us as well, so we can understand how Jacob feels. This is a shock. It really is a shock. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 26 brings the opening of a dialogue between this man who we know is the Lord's representative and Jacob. And what's interesting is the man who's divine, who's the Lord's representative, it, it appears as if he's lost the wrestling match. Isn't that odd? Isn't that really odd? It appears like the divine man has lost the wrestling match against Jacob. I don't know about uh, whether you watched the fight last week. I don't know if you saw Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. I, I tried to stay up. Uh, didn't last too long. But uh, I just wonder in this moment whether uh, whether Conor McGregor would, <laughs> would fancy himself against this divine man or would fancy himself against Jacob. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. He's a bit wild, isn't he? Um, but... What's bizarre is that this divine man uh, almost concedes the wrestling match with Jacob. And uh, he says, uh, please let me go because daybreak is coming. It's as if he doesn't want to operate in daylight, presumably to conceal his identity. And it seems like Jacob is now in control of the outcome of the wrestling match. So what does he do? He thinks, I'm going to get, uh, get one up on Esau. I'm going to force this divine man to bless me. I'm going to get some last-minute tactics, last-minute uh, ammunition against Esau, 
I'm going to take advantage of this encounter. I'm going to get you to bless me, presumably so that he can get one up against Esau. But before he is blessed, he must answer a question. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And this question, I believe, has really underlying significance. Why? Because the similarities with this question and the receiving of this blessing to the blessing he received from his father Isaac when he stole uh, Esau's birthright. What's the difference? The difference is when he stole the birthright of Esau and received his father's blessing, he did it deceitfully. He tricked his father into thinking he was Esau so that he received the blessing. What happens here? It's the truth that prevails. It's his honesty that prevails. He says, my name's Jacob. And it's his, it's his true identity that will may mean he receives his blessing. It's not deceit. It's not, no, it's not anything like that. It's just honesty. Verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and whenever there's a, a name change in the Bible, do take note. It's as if something is happening. God wants to say something. What's he trying to communicate to us here? Well, Jacob's new name now becomes somehow a description of not only an individual who will wrestle with God, but a whole nation that will wrestle with God. Jacob's uh, character in the Bible will now represent not only someone that struggles with God, but actually it represents a whole nation that struggles with God. The quote that I put up, the fear, the confidence, the trust, the dread, everything, all the characteristics of Jacob now upon Israel, God's people. Isn't that interesting? Jacob's character represents God's people. And quite frankly, Jacob's character is, isn't anything special. It's not, it's not that nice. He's a thief and he's gripped with fear. And now he's representing Israel, and I think that speaks volumes when we understand the rest of the Old Testament and see the trials and troubles that God's people go through. Verse 29, Jacob has his say. He says, Jacob's, it says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. We'll go with that. Saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. So that's where the Bible editors, that's where they get the subtitle from, that verse, verse 30. They saw, uh, um, it's because I saw, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. That's where it comes from. Um, What's Jacob doing here? It appears as if he, um, what's he doing? He's trying to find the identity of this man. He is 
uh, intrigued by this person he's wrestled with. He's just been blessed. He thinks he's the divine man, but he wants to know his name. Now, there's a contrast here with Moses. And let me explain what that contrast is, because it's rather interesting. Jacob asks this divine man, who's the Lord's representative, who is perhaps an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, he is God. He says, what's your name? Much like when Moses asks the burning bush, which is the angel of the Lord, which is God, very similar encounter in a sense. Uh, and Moses says, well, when the Egyptians ask me who you are, what do I say? Who, who are you? What's your name? He says. Uh, and Jacob and Moses, they ask the same question. Moses, he gets the answer, I am who I am. He gets the most, some of the most profound words in the whole of the Bible. Jacob, the angel of the Lord, appears offended by the fact he's asked him. So like, why do you ask me my name? Moses gets one of the most profound answers. Jacob, he gets almost as if he said what he's asked is an offense. And I think what we learn from that is, actually, it's God who chooses how much he's going to reveal himself. And we see that with Jacob and Moses. Actually, right now, it's, it's not the time for Jacob to know exactly who the angel of the Lord is. That time's coming. That time's coming with Moses. But right now, it's not the time. And that can be tough to get our heads around. You think, why, God, why would you... Why would you why would you just not reveal yourself? And I, I don't know the full answer to that, but God's mysterious, isn't he? And he's powerful. And actually, that's okay at times. It's interesting. And there's another contrast with Moses, and this one's even more interesting, or a, bit, a little bit more bizarre. And that is when Moses encounters God, when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he, and he's, uh, he comes off the mountain, and the Bible tells us, uh, I think it's Exodus 34, the Bible says, uh, he's, he's radiant, he's glowing. It's one of these amazing moments where you've encountered God and you're just buzzing. And so much so that Moses is literally glowing. He's literally glowing. And you contrast that with Jacob, who comes away from his encounter with the Lord with a limp. <laughs> and you think, man, I really want to be more like Moses than Jacob. But what's that about? Why, why, again, like, does, Moses, does God just love Moses more than he loves Jacob? Because Moses definitely seems to be getting a better deal. Like, Jacob's just getting battered and bruised and, like, he's not getting any information. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this a little bit. And I, I don't know. I think perhaps what we learn from this is that no two encounters with the Lord are the same. And that when you do have an encounter with the Lord... You'll never be the same. No two encounters are the same. But when you do encounter the Lord, you'll never be the same. And I can't say what that's going to look like. I mean, for Jacob, he had a limp for the rest of his life. For Moses, he glowed temporarily. The story progresses. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, some people say that passage we just read, the, the wrestling with God 
section. Some people say that that's just a dream. It's all hypothetical. We can learn lessons from it. It didn't actually happen. Just real quickly on that, I, I believe it definitely did happen. Two reasons why. One, Jacob was physically changed as a result of this. Like he he had a limp and like and he was genuinely injured. Uh, and also, well, three things. The other thing is, when God, uh, when, it, when it is a dream, the Bible usually says this is happening in a dream. And finally, you know, the Israelites and Jews to this day still don't eat, uh, what does it say? Still don't eat the meat attached to the hip. They still don't do that. Out of respect to this encounter. Isn't that interesting? They still don't do that. Wow. Physical side effects from on Jacob's life from this encounter are amazing. Verse 33, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Jacob now, we know he's been gripped by anxiety and fear and dread for this encounter. He's now a blessed but quite frankly, a broken man. He limps towards his encounter, still probably fearing for his life. And the Bible says this. He divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the, their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So the encounter concludes with an embrace of love, with forgiveness, not war. No death or fighting of any kind. The encounter is a peaceful one in the end. The old memories of betrayal and hurt are gone. God has worked a miracle in Jacob and Esau's lives, restoring what was a broken relationship. And so I think the question that arises, certainly in my mind and probably in yours, is... What was it that saved Jacob from Esau? What was it exactly? Was it the blessing during the wrestling with God? Was that, was that the blessing? Because you'll notice the Bible doesn't kind of outright say what the blessing that Jacob receives is. It doesn't give us that much detail. And perhaps that's on purpose. Perhaps there's more important things for us to focus on. And... I think that's probably the case. But to clarify real quick, what, what is a blessing from God? What, what is that? I don't think necessarily it's money or possessions or wealth. Probably the greatest blessing from God is to spend more time with him, to know him better, to have more of him in your life. And that certainly happens in Jacob's life. He certainly ends up uh, speaking to God in that time period more than anybody else. What's the blessing he receives? He receives the Lord. He gets more and more of the Lord. What a blessing.
And as I come to uh, close, as we begin to finish, uh, I do hope the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you this morning through this story. That was my, my hope with this uh, this morning. I, I really wanted to work our way through this passage, get in the mindset of Jacob. And I can't not say this. If God has nudged you in a certain way this morning, please don't ignore that. Please pray about it. Speak to someone about it. Because often God nudges us and sometimes we just overlook it and we ignore it. But please don't do that. If God's spoken to you through his word this morning, do take note of that. And I'll conclude with one final point. I had two in my notes, but we're going to go for one. I can't help but notice right at the end, Jacob's encounter with Esau it just screams the story of the prodigal son. It screams the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know that story, let me quickly explain it to you. It's a story that Jesus told. And Jesus, he tells this story of a son who uh, effectively, you could say, steals from his father all of his wealth. And he goes and he just wrecks his life effectively by spending all of his wealth. And he decides one day that he'll return home to his father. And uh, I'm fairly certain as he returned home to his father, he was probably bricking it. He was probably very scared. Dan might tell me off saying that. Uh, <laughs> he's not making notes, so hopefully he'll forget. Um, he was probably really scared. You know what? Much like Esau, uh, much like Jacob was as he approached Esau. And I was thinking, I can't help but probably wonder whether there would have been some Jews listening to this man Jesus tell this story and think, oh, well, this story, this reminds me of Jacob and Esau. Because, of course, the Jews will have known this because Jacob was one of, their, one of their great heroes of their faith, as he is ours. And I can't help but think, you know, they'll probably sat there listening to this man, Jesus, think, yeah, that reminds me of Jacob and, and Esau, and God restored their relationship. God restored their relationship. Oh, okay. So what's coming, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, the son who was far off, he comes back, and the father of the house who the son stole from, he runs out to meet the son, and he embraces him, much like Esau embraced Jacob. And these Jews that are listening to Jesus, they're sat there thinking, oh, so God not only has the power to restore human relationships, but actually, Jesus, you're saying that God will restore my relationship with the Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful picture that Jacob and Esau provide for us? They provide this picture that one day through Jesus, our relationship with God the Father in heaven will be restored. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an amazing picture just to end with? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to end there. I'd love it if I could just pray real quick and then we're going to have communion. I think Dan or Carl are going to come and lead us in that. Father, thank you for the heroic faith of Jacob and all the other characters we've heard about over these past few weeks. Father, it's amazing that what these people did, and it's amazing that you want to do just as much, if not more, in our lives as well. And we thank you for that. Amen.